Welcome to another episode of our podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Assistant General Secretary and the host of this show. We're recording this podcast from the land of the Darawal people. This land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Nurses and midwives have been put through the ringer through the COVID-19 pandemic. Despite this, we've been provided with stagnant wage growth, with the New South Wales Liberal National Government going as far as to give us a wage freeze in the middle of it all. Not only does this affect health workers and our families, it also affects our local communities. Professor Martin O'Brien is a researcher from the University of Wollongong's Faculty of Law and Business, specialising in workforce participation and labour policies. Last year, he released a report called Providing the Economic Foundations for Our Regions. In it, Martin analyses the importance that public sector workers have on local regional economies. I'm just going to say that again, sorry. Professor Martin O'Brien is a researcher from the University of Wollongong's Faculty of Law and Business, specialising in workforce participation and labour policies. Last year, he released a report called Providing the Economic Foundations for Our Regions. In it, Martin analyses the importance that public sector workers have on local regional economies, and in particular, those on the south coast of New South Wales. Welcome to the show, Martin. Thank you, Shay. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience and your research expertise? Yeah, sure. Um, I am an associate professor in economics at the University of Wollongong. I've been doing this for about 20 years now. And my original research, well, it's always been in labour economics. My original research was focused on older workers um, and particularly in the context of ageing populations and governments trying to make them work longer. And I've done a lot of topics, I suppose, over the years since my PhD um, on youth labour markets, regional labour markets, redundancy. Um, and I think more recently, probably the last five years, um, instead of just concentrating so much on economics itself, I've been involved in a few of the Fair Work Commission cases and as an expert witness. So looking at, I guess, the crossover between labour economics and industrial relations. And tell me, like, this is obviously a pretty niche area of interest. What's, you, you know, why are you so passionate about this sort of research? Um, I think the thing with economics is that it can be pretty technical and really out of reach for a lot of Australians, especially the language that we talk in terms of. But I think the whole thing when you're talking about labour economics is looking at employment, unemployment, diff different types of patterns in industries and occupations. And I think it's something that's just easier to engage with a lot of people when we're talking things that people are, are living and doing in their own lives. I think that's a really good explanation. I know um, I'm kind of one of those people that when someone says economics, I glaze over a little. So I'm grateful for people like you in the world that help to sort of digest some of those complex theories um, in a way that we can start to sort of unpack it and understand how it interacts with our lives. Uh, a lot of us don't actually want the rest of the world to understand what we're talking about. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> um, but it does make for a difficult conversation with a lot of people if you keep on to talking in terms of the, the economics lingo and not using proper words. Yeah, definitely. So, look, let's talk about this particular report that you've released recently. Um, what was the driver around this and what did you find? 
Um, well, the, the original idea came from the South Coast Labor Council. So they were really interested in two major things. It was, first of all, looking at, um, I guess, the impact of public sector employment in terms of how big is it um, in the context of local labor markets. And then secondly, looking at the impact of public sector income and obviously spending uh, in the local economies or what we call gross regional product. Um, and that was sort of the statistics behind it, but then it was what we call a mixed methods um, research project as well, where there was a number of interviews with people throughout the South Coast, um, really to, to dig deeper in the stories. And it was nine local government areas altogether. So pretty much from Wollongong down to the South Coast and then into uh, Queenie. Mm. And obviously, this is something we're really interested in because, you know, nurses and midwives are a huge contributor to public sector, with so many of them being employed by the state government in public hospitals. Um, so we had some members that helped to contribute to the research. We did. There was uh, a couple of quotes in the in the major report about the contribution of nurses. So one of the things, particularly with hospitals, is they're such a large organisation where they're physically located. Um, it really, as well as, I guess, uh, employing a lot of people, it supports a lot of the local businesses that um, the hospital uses, the various goods and services from the local surrounding businesses, um, and, and really helps out, I suppose, in a lot of these economies that can be very reliant on tourism and agriculture, which sort of comes and goes sometimes regularly throughout the year and sometimes not so regularly. Mm. And the period that you were researching was sort of after a few crises, I suppose, wasn't it? Because we'd just come off the back of the bushfires and then the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. So it really impacted those local communities in terms of tourism and things like that even more. Yeah, that's right. Well, the study itself spanned five years. So we had a couple of years before the bushfires and we we're able to see the impact of the bushfires on those um, on those economic impact statistics, as well as um, COVID coming from that. So particularly for a lot of those South Coast um, economies that are very much reliant on tourism, um, the bushfires, apart from just being a really large crisis that affects people directly burning down homes, livelihoods and all of that sort of thing, uh, it killed off the tourism season um, over the 2019-20 period and then COVID came straight on top of that. So a lot of these economies that basically rely on one month of the year between Christmas and Australia Day lost um, basically most of the economic activity because of bushfires and then COVID on top of that. Mm. That's really interesting. And then I suppose um, from the perspective of nurses and midwives, the additional layer to that was the wage freeze that came, you know, not long after. Um, were you able to draw out any kind of conclusions about the uh, research and the impact of the wage freeze as well? Yeah, well, one of the, the major findings from the report is that the, the economic contribution from nurses and other public sector workers increases in those times of crisis. So while I guess the, the private sector um, is shedding jobs and, and you know, having most of the, the troubles, the public sector is like a, a solid foundation to a lot of these economies. So we find that the contribution of public sector income, for example, in the local economies increases in those times of crisis. 
Um, public sector workers are working, earning and spending the whole time while other private sector industries are, are particularly affected. But what we also found with that is that the wage freeze really put a bit of a constraint on that influence of public sector uh, contribution to ec economic activity. So while we found that the public sector uh, contribution to the economy has really increased in size and importance over those times, the effect of the, the wage freeze um, actually constrained how, how good or beneficial it could have been. Really interesting, isn't it? Given, you know, so much of the um, justification around the wage freeze was that it was for the broader, you know, economic interest. And yet that wasn't really how it played out in um, the evidence. Yeah, well, I mean, you had the governments talking a lot about stimulus over that time, um, over COVID. Um, obviously, JobKeeper was one of those things where they wanted to basically pump money into the economy to keep people spending. And so they sort of um, got the foot on the accelerator with one foot and they're putting the, their other foot on the brake at the same time by constraining um, the wages of public sector employees, which has exactly the same effect. Mm. You earn and you spend in the economies. Yeah. But what I found with some of the, um, the interviews as well, a lot of the public sector workers and nurses would be one of the obvious ones, were really working a lot harder, longer hours, uh, really, I suppose, the importance in terms of the um, how we faced the COVID crisis. I mean, you guys were at the front line. Yeah, um, look, I think like, that's... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, so it's sort of like, yeah, thank you. But um, by the way, we're not going to give you any more, more money. Yeah, I think that's absolutely the case. You know, like everyone, um, nurses were dealing with the economic impacts and also the kind of social and emotional impacts of having to um, survive through a pandemic. But also they were, you know, the forefront of having to really drive the response around um, a lot of, you know, the care that the community receives and also trying to help people live through some of the fear uh, in the early stages. So it was a pretty unique space for our members to be in at that time I think yeah absolutely but, um yeah yeah it's been interesting um so the other thing I guess I just wanted to touch on is the uniqueness around um some of those smaller communities that came out in that research in terms of the proportion of public sector and how they contribute to some of those regional communities could you talk a bit about that oh okay look um if we want to put some numbers on things um in greater Sydney public sector in Employment is well, about 13.5% of total employment. Across Australia, it's a bit over 15%. But in a number of those local government areas, we're seeing a much larger size of public sector employment in terms of the, the context of that labour market. So uh, Euro, Euro Badala, it's above 16%. Snowy Monaro, above 70, 17%. Shoalhaven, above 17%. Wollongong and Kiama public sector employment is over 20% of their local labour market. And the obvious standout was Queanbeyan, where about 33% of employed workers uh, are coming from the public sector. Now, the thing with Queanbeyan, obviously, is that they're crossing the border to go into ACT to actually do the work. But where people would be spending the money on the weekends and all of that sort of stuff would be in their local area, which is Queanbeyan. Mm. And so those communities really need the sort of, you know, their economies really need to be boosted by those public sector wages, don't they? 
Well, that's right, because the, the second part of the research, which was then looking at the, the impact of public sector income on those local economies, was showing um, probably a, a lot more extreme picture in terms of the contribution of public sector employees. So gross regional product is what we use to measure economic activity in the regions. And it's basically the, um, the regional version of GDP or gross domestic product, which you might hear of when they're talking about economic activity in Australia mm -hmm. in general. So whereas public sector income is only just a bit over 6% of a contribution towards the greater Sydney gross regional product, we're finding that public sector income was at least double that, triple that in a lot of those local economies. So for example, um, Wollongong public sector income was 11% of gross regional product, 13% in Shell Harbour, 19% in Kiama, and just under 36% um, of Queanbeyan. So, you know, yeah, over right. a third of the economic activity in the Queanbeyan Palarang local government area is basically coming from that uh, public sector income. Mm. I think that's really interesting, you know, when you spell it out in terms of how big the proportion of public sector income is in those areas. And then to think that we've had this kind of sustained period of uh, reduced wages, particularly around government legislation that implements a 2.5% wage um, cap. And then we had the wage freeze on top. You know, it, it is very much that example you were saying about kind of putting the brakes on, but also saying that they're stimulating at the same time when we were going through that pandemic. So I think that's really um, interesting insights that came out of that research. Well, it's obvious that those regional economies are quite unique and, and very different to, you know, the greater Sydney economy, um, both in terms of size. But what I was saying before is that a lot of those South Coast economies being reliant on tourism and agriculture, a lot of the months of the year, like, those sectors are pretty dormant, particularly agriculture just came out of a, a major drought before the mm -hmm. bushfires and then COVID. So a lot of the times of the year, people in those economies aren't gainfully employed. They're not spending much, but to have that solid base of people working, earning and spending the whole year round, it really props up a lot of those local businesses that really wouldn't be able to, to survive otherwise. Mm. Look, I think um, that really resonates. I live in uh, the Wollongong region myself. And when we went through the wage freeze campaign, one of the tactics that we went through was engaging with local businesses to show their support for why they felt that a wage freeze would impact their local business um, because they relied on public sector wages. And, you know, you could walk through um, the, the local shopping centre or, you know, even the big kind of plaza down in Crown Street. And there were so many businesses that were just peppered with with signs saying, you know, don't, we don't support the wage freeze, this will hurt our business. Um, so I think that really resonates with what we were seeing anecdotally. I'm not at all surprised to hear that that's what the research has shown. Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, the whole thing with economics, it's, it really shows the, the linkages between different people, businesses, sector. And that's the thing, what's income for someone ends up being spending and then going into income for someone else. So particularly local businesses are very reliant on people in other sectors, such as the public sector being employed and, and earning enough money to, to have money left over to spend after they pay for, you know, mortgages and electricity and water and all those important bills first.
So on that note, can you kind of give your, you know, maybe um, layman's version of the economic view about why it's so important that nurses and midwives fight for a decent pay rise? It's because the money that you earn ends up being the income of local businesses who in turn spend and employ other people. So it really is that flow on effect. Um, I think the danger that we see when we have a big spending government in periods like COVID or previously with the, um, the financial crisis 10 or so years ago is that they want to pull the handbrake on after those periods of big spending. Mm. So they want to, you know, potentially cut the size of the public sector. We've already had Scott Morrison at the federal level sort of talking about small government again in the lead up to the next election. It also happens at the state government um, level as well. Obviously, they were, they were spending a lot more money on different initiatives over the COVID period, but at the same time, they wanted to put the handbrake on the, the wages of the public sector. And that's the, the big contradiction is you can't, encourage private sector to have their foot on the accelerator and then to have your other foot on the brake at the same time so it's absolutely a it's a complete contradiction by saying well let's have a a private sector-led recovery when public sector is really helped out so so well over the crisis period and you're really stymieing that recovery by by impeding you know income growth Absolutely. Income growth has probably been, income growth in general has probably been one of the biggest dramas or problems that the economy has had for the last couple of years. We've never had a Reserve Bank governor trying to talk up wage growth in the economy like we have with Philip Lowe the last couple of years. Every other Reserve Bank governor before that has tried to slow wage growth down because it leads to inflation and that's when the Reserve Bank have to come in. The Reserve Bank have had bugger all to do uh, in terms of interest rates for, for years now because there's no, there's no growth in the economy coming from wages, which then flows on to inflation. So that's why they're talking it up. Mm. Because they've got, apart from pumping well, I don't know, a few billion dollars into the economy over the COVID period, they haven't been able to do much with their major lever on the economy, which is interest rates. And it's all to do with the fact that... Um, we don't have enough income growth. People aren't spending. It's not flowing into business and, and leading to a, you know, a healthy economy. Look, I couldn't agree more. And I think from our perspective, the challenge we see is that the government, the state government, which is such a big employer in New South Wales, really has set the standard around wages in the health sector. You know, whether that's their intention or not, that is the ultimate outcome. So when they go and legislate to put a wages cap of 2.5% on public sector workers, and that's the most that nurses and midwives can get in the public sector, we then see that flow through in the private sector. So the big kind of private hospital employers like Ramsey and HealthScope, and then all the way through to aged care. Um, so it almost becomes, you know, the peak of what they're prepared to pay and everyone else is almost a race to the bottom. Um, so it really has this kind of flow through effect across the rest of the workforce, which, you know, um, I think is hugely problematic because we're not talking about massive pay kind of uh, increases year on year. Yeah, and it's um, that state government level is really the most important one because when we look at employment in the those local regions, the state government uh, public sector employment is the largest one. 
The only freak is Queanbeyan, where federal um, public sector employment is larger, but in every other local area that we look at, it's that state government level public sector, which is the largest employer. Yeah. Craziness, isn't it? Complete craziness. Well, look, that was really interesting. Are there any other key insights that you think are worth mentioning to the members that might be listening? Oh, look, I think we, um, I think we got through most of them, but I suppose we've done the numbers bit. One of the probably more interesting parts with me was listening to people talking about um, both the effect of the bushfires as well as COVID period upon themselves. Obviously, the bushfires affected a lot of people um, directly, but really the fact that um, a lot of areas in public sector, they were, they were working on um, you know, evacuation centres over the bushfires. There's the images that we had at the beginning of COVID where we had the lineups around the block with people that were signing up for JobSeeker, um, as well as the, the economic contribution. There was just so many people that were in really important positions um, reacting to both bushfires as well as COVID crises working longer hours, working harder. And, and, you know, without these types of roles and the government paying for people to do them, um, you know, the community falls apart. So I, I talk in terms of the economics and that's the area that I'm an expert at. But really it's a lot more important than just the economic contribution. It's the, the roles that people play and it's how they, you know, basically bind the communities together in these different occupations without them you'd have madness, you'd have, you'd have those crazy protests that we see in Melbourne every weekend or every day probably if we didn't have those people doing those roles and, and really stepping up, I suppose, when, um, when we go through these crisis or emergency type periods. Yeah, absolutely. And pay is one way that we can show all of those frontline workers how we really value them, I think. Oh, that's the thing. I mean, we obviously saw with the nurses, I mean, I can talk um, directly about how I appreciate teachers' roles now after having four months of lockdown with a kindergarten <laughs> child. Um, it's just all of those ones, unless you sort of, unless we go through crisis periods or things get shaken up and we see things from a different perspective, we don't sort of appreciate a lot of those those roles. Um, and I think, you know, the, the obvious ones are the nurses, the teachers um, in the most recent period, but then obviously all of the emergency responses when we had with the bushfires and the important roles of putting the bloody things out to begin with, but then all of those important roles about trying to trying to recover afterwards. Um, one of the other things that we saw particularly down the South Coast is the problems with housing and the lack mm. of housing. And that's both for people um, we heard directly with nurses down there, if they're employed in, say, Vega, struggling to find places to actually stay. But just the recovery from the, um, the bushfires themselves and people re rebuilding around Cobargo, for example, mm. um, it really screams out that you need an important government leadership role when the private sector just doesn't really work. Um, they can't get tradesmen, tradespeople, sorry, to, to do work in Cabago to, to rebuild. Um, they're having other problems with the regulations over rebuilding that were different regulations now compared to when they built originally. So 
you know, the private sector, as much as governments would like to say, let's leave it to the private sector, they know best, that's how we'll get prosperity. When we go through these periods, we just really see the importance of governments and public sector employment that addresses those public goods that we call in economics that are so important for the community. And it's not all about profits. It's about doing jobs that that benefits the community and society. And that's really what wellbeing is about rather than, you know, making mad profits in private sector. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we need to be able to rely upon a safety net that keeps everyone, you know, out of poverty, in a house, accessing good quality healthcare, all of those things that government should be there to provide for. Um, because you're right, if there's no profit in it, then the private sector generally isn't interested in it. Um, but well, that's, that's not quality of life, right? We need to be able to provide for vulnerable people within our community and support people when they're going through those times of crisis. That's right. I was taught by my um, PhD supervisor the difference between jobs and labour demand. So we often hear in economics, you know, artificial intelligence is coming, it's going to replace all of these jobs, it's going to lead to unemployment or robots are going to take over, there won't be any human jobs left. But there's a big difference between no jobs to do or no meaningful jobs to do and labour demand. So it's quite often that there's not labour demand and that is a private sector employer that's willing to employ people to do something because a private sector employer needs to make a profit. They need to make mm. money out of it. But there's never going to be a lack of jobs to do and meaningful jobs to do. And obviously the three main areas that, that come to mind is health, education and the environment. There will never be a lack of meaningful jobs to do in those three areas, but it comes down to the government and the public sector to step up and do that type of work because it's not as if you can make a, a profit out of it. And that's what we have to realise as a society. There are so many important jobs that need to be done for us to flourish as a community and a society. You can't leave it all to the private sector. Not all of these jobs lead to a, a profit for someone. It's yeah. a profit for the community, not a profit for an individual. Couldn't agree more. Definitely. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. I think we've covered off all of my notes. Is there anything else that you want to make mention of that we haven't covered? No, I think I finished my rant at the end. So That I'm was gonna... a good one, though. That's, <laughs> I had nothing left to even add on the end. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. No worries. Well, that was a really interesting podcast. Martin obviously knows his stuff. And I think there's so much in there that we can take away as nurses and midwives of New South Wales um, that we can use in conversations when we're talking with community members, politicians, you know, um, family, friends, etc. The reality, of course, is that we need for wage growth to really start to move in New South Wales. We need for the 2.5% pay cap to be lifted um, because it's going to have overall benefits across the whole community, but also because nurses and midwives deserve it. So there's so much in this podcast, I think, that helps for those conversations. Pick up the pieces, download um, the report. We'll pop the details in the show notes so that you can hop on and have a look if you want to find out any more about that public sector research that was done through the Uni of Wollongong um, because all the detail really is in, um, in that report. Uh, but I think this draws really strongly the conclusion that um, 
you know, reducing or kind of preventing nurses and midwives from having meaningful pay increases year on year is not good economics. It certainly is not showing value for the work that all of you have done through the pandemic. Um, and it's just such disrespect. So, you know, now's the time for us to really start to challenge this thinking and here's the evidence for us to do it. So um, have a look, get into it. I'd highly recommend it. Here's a quick word about our continuing professional education program. Did you know that the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association members can access over 60 CPD courses for free? Just log on to Member Central on the association website to find out more. That's nswnma.asn.au. And if you're not yet a member, join today and get access to these courses straight away. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Martin and I look forward to seeing you in a fortnight with more stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have an interesting story or know someone who you think would be great on this podcast, please get in touch. <laughs>